Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. Today, we'll talk to Jennifer Davies, the Director of Cultural Tourism for the San Diego Tourism Authority, who helps us plan a perfect day in the park. The tagline for Balboa Park is always changing, ever amazing. And it, it really is, from history to science to art, you know, to music, it's, it's very unique and very unexpected. Then we'll shift from a walk in the park to wellness. John Wogan from Travel and Leisure magazine joins us to talk about the growing trend of wellness travel. So much of modern life is not conducive to good health, so people are looking for um, some kind of transformation and just want to feel better. Plus, we'll learn about Wide Open Walls, a mural festival that transforms the city of Sacramento into an outdoor art gallery. It's all coming up on California Now. Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. Our mission is to introduce you to some of the amazing people and places that make the Golden State such a fascinating destination. Balboa Park has been listed on the National Register of Historic Places for over 40 years, and with good reason. The park is truly a living monument to San Diego's storied past and its burgeoning future. Our first guest is Jennifer Davies, a goodwill ambassador for Balboa Park, one of the great urban parks in America. Her title is Director of Cultural Tourism, and she knows this 1,200-acre playground as well as anybody. Balboa Park is home to the world-famous San Diego Zoo, but there's so much more to do and see. And we're going to map out the perfect family-friendly itinerary. Welcome to the California Now podcast, Jennifer. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So before we begin our perfect day in Balboa Park, tell us a little bit about the history of this amazing collection of gardens and museums and, and so much more. It's really unlike any park in California, isn't it? Oh, it really is. I mean, we got it started 150 years ago. It just celebrated its 150th anniversary of its establishment. But where it really sort of took off was in the, in 1915, they had an expo there. And that was a time when there was like, like only 40,000 people in San Diego, but Oh, more than 2 million people came and checked it out. Wow. And it's also where it's iconic Spanish colonial um, revival architecture. That's that, that that happened in 1915. Um, and then in 1935, during the Great Depression, they held another expo. And that, that's where a lot of the other sort of iconic, like the Air and Space Museum that are more futuristic looking, um, that's where they, they came in. There, there really truly is something for everyone in Balboa Park. But let's focus on a, a family-friendly day in the park. Let's say two parents and two kids visiting San Diego, maybe for the first time. Uh, where do we start? You have to start at one end or the other end. And the most fun way, if you're driving, is to start an uh, Inspiration Point parking lot because there's a tram there that takes you into the park. And I would say to stop at the first stop, which is where you're in the Palisades, and that's where there is the Air and Space Museum, there's the Automotive Museum, and it's actually the future home of the Comic-Con Museum that will be opening up in 2021. But I would definitely... Um, for kids, the Air and Space Museum is great. There's so much to see. There's simulators. There's all sorts of things to like see, do, touch. I mean, it's you can spend a lot of time in there, but it's a great place to start for kids. So, so you mentioned a Comic Con museum coming up in 2021. I mean, talk about that a little bit. There's going to be an actual museum to what popular culture. Yeah, it's it's really exciting actually, and the I mean, the more I talk to the people that are putting it together, the more excited I get about what they're trying to do. I mean, they're they're, they're fundraising right now, they're conceptualizing it. It's going to be a game changer in the park, and it's going to be something that 
people are going to want to see. Because if you go to Comic-Con, it'll be Comic-Con year-round to some extent. <laughs> and so it's both for people that are, you know, steeped in pop culture, but people that are just, you know, have a glancing knowledge and want to see cool stuff. It's going to be pretty amazing. And maybe if you need a place to wear your uh, superhero costume on a non-Comic-Con weekend, that might be the place to do it. Oh, they're all about that. <laughs> <laughs> they want to do it all the time. They want, and you don't have to even just. They want them people to wander around the park in their co- costumes. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to suggest our next stop with an audio cue. Here's a sound that I don't associate with a great urban park. Well, that's that's quite a sound, and it's quite a sight. But that's the Spreckles Organ Pavilion, um, the world's largest outdoor uh, instrument and it sounds and looks amazing uh the i mean the way it looks is you've got colonnades on either side i mean it was built in 1915 and it's this huge structure that sort of houses the the organ with like pipes from pencil size to like 20 feet i mean it's 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 really impressive and and when can you actually hear the organ in action every sunday there's a free concert um and then there's also summer organ festival so there's all sorts of different dates and times. And then um, the civic organist also uh, does nighttime shows on like sort of a quarterly basis. That's great. So basically, you can definitely hear it every week, but then you could also check a schedule and see other ones throughout the year as well, right? Yeah. And, you know, insider pro tip, he also practices a lot. So if you're wandering around during the (laughs) during the week, you're going to hear the organ. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, The Museum of Man is near the Spreckles Organ Pavilion. What's that like? And is it family friendly? Oh, yeah. It's the the Museum of Man is very cool. It's an anthropological museum. It's the the study of humankind. Um, And so you have everything from, you know, the history of monsters to um, the history of beer to they have a new post secret um exhibition which is really cool if you know what post secret is frank warren's thing where people send in all their secrets and they're sort of boxed and they're anonymous they have that there which is fascinating because there people have some dark secrets i'm gonna tell you and i'm not sure why they share them (laughs) okay so let's say our family of four is ready for lunch is food available in the park yes there is um there's there's a number of great easy places to eat both within the museums but one of my favorite places to eat is this place called panama 66 and it's adjacent to the san diego museum of art and it's outdoors and it has you know it's sort of farm to table like soups salads sandwiches and it's it's great for for kids and adults. They have French fries, which is you know always a kid favorite. They have a <laughs> Nutella and banana sandwich, which is for kids. That sounds pretty good. They have great craft beer if you need a little respite <laughs> with the kids. Um, great craft cocktails, um, wine, you know all the things you would want. It's also adjacent to the sculpture garden uh, that's associated with the Museum of Art. But they have picnic blankets behind the the bar that you can request, and if you just want to go out and have a drink on the lawn and look at the you can look at the California Tower and you can look at all the sculpture and just relax, they have that, and it's 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 one of my favorite things to do in the park. Wow, that's really great! You don't even have to bring your own picnic blanket; they have them there for you. That's really nope. cool. No, you can have your impromptu picnic, <laughs> glass of wine, chill out, <laughs> watch the kids run around a little bit. <laughs> Okay, so we finished lunch. Uh, we've had our picnic out on the lawn. Now, you know, we have we have a few good hours, you know, before the sun goes down and the kids start getting tired. What are some other attractions we can visit in Balboa Park? I would start just walking down the El Prado, which is sort of like the main drag of Balboa Park. When you see pictures of it, it's, you know, it's all the, you know, that, that Spanish revival art architecture. Um, one great fun place to check out is the Model Railroad Museum. It's 
it's it's so cool. It's like I think it's the largest model railroad working model railroad museum in in the world, at least wow. in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's all these miniature model railroads, and it's it's really cool. And so if you, depending on the age of your kid, like if if you have like a five year old boy, even a or a girl, they'll just be mesmerized for at least an hour just looking at it because there's like buttons you can push, and I mean, and they the the model railroad it looks like. The California railroads. I mean, it's it's really cool. Wow. So so you mean it kind of it reflects like the railroad history of the state? Yes, exactly. Grassy plains, and there's you know they actually have um, a replica of the park in the back of the of the museum. So they have all different sort of setups. Um, so I think it's like the five different main mail railroads in California is one of them. But then they also have like this room where it's just it's like. It feels like Christmas time all all around the year. It's, it's like I said, it's impressive. It's hard to explain because it's so eye popping. <laughs> it's, it's you have to see it to believe it. Right. Sounds really cool. Um, what's another stop that we can do in Balboa Park uh, before you know we end up we end our day? You're going to be on the El Prado, and you're going to definitely want to stop and look at the the lily pond with your kids. Um, the lily pond and the botanical building. Um, the botanical building is free to go into. It's Again, this is a weird one, but it's the, one of the largest uh, wooden lath structures in the world. It was built for the 1915 exhibition. It has got, I think, 2,100 um, different kinds of plants and f- flowers in there. Um, but there's, it's one of the most photographed pl- um, structures in the park. And they have this beautiful um, lily pond in front of it. And that's where everyone gets their, you know, family photo. It's, if you need something for like the holiday card, that's a that's a good place to do it. Um, and there's also, there's always ducks and ducklings there. So for kids, it's, you don't feed them, but it's, it's, it's a pretty cute little place to be. And it's, and it's one of those things where you can kind of walk around, see it and, and kind of move on. It sounds like a great place to take those Instagram photos. Oh yeah. No, that's like, there's, there's lots of Instagram worthy places in, in, uh, in Balboa Park. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> One around every corner. <laughs> right, right. So what would be another great place to, to visit while we're in the park? There's, there's two actually. There's the Natural History Museum, which has all the, you know, stones and bones you want to see. Um, and really it looks at the, at the stones and bones of, you know, our, uh, the binational uh, region here. And then you have the Fle- Fleet Science Center uh, across the way. So you, you kind of have to like, you know, a, a choose your own adventure, which one you want to do if you can fit both in. Um, and it, that would be hard because they're, they're both have, have a lot to do and see. Um, and one thing I, I didn't mention, I, and I should have at the beginning, is a great way to see all this instead of having to pay admission to each of these museums is that you can get an Explorer Pass. And that's a really, it's a good deal. So if you get a one-day Explorer Pass, it's $48 for adults and 29 for kids. And if you get like a multi-day pass where you can see all of the museums, it's $59 for adults and 32 for kids. So that's definitely something that you want to check out. So I would Google the Explorer Pass for Balboa Park if you are planning to come to Balboa Park. And that would be really a great way to do it because it sounds like there's so much to do. It would be almost hard to do it in one day. I mean, if you want to really kind of get into all of these attractions, like you might want to spend more than one day, spread it out a little bit. The tagline for Balboa Park is always changing, ever amazing. And it it really is. It's You can have a day where you're just sitting around having a picnic or walking through the gardens, or you can do a day where, you know, you power through and see all these different museums. And it's, I mean, that's what makes Balboa Park special is you have this sort of cultural concentration and a view of mankind and our experience from all these different vantage points, from history to science to art, to, you know, to music. It's, it's, it's very unique and very 
unexpected. Well, thanks so much for creating a perfect day for a family visit to Balboa Park. Jennifer, before you go, though, are there any more attractions, say, for adults you'd like to point out? Ones that might test the patience of kids. Well, one little pro tip I would like to mention is that a a number of the museums have uh, half-day summer camps. So if you're coming in the summer, you kind of have built-in babysitting, if you'd like, if you'd like to experience the park more as an adult rather than, you know, traipsing kids around to like art museums that they may or may not be interested in. Um, so that's that's great. The San Diego Museum of Art and then the Timken is really um, something to see. It's a small, free um, museum and it's, it's great because it's an intimate experience and you can really take your time to see the, these great works of art. It actually has um, the only Rembrandt on view in, in San Diego. You can go in there a hundred times and even and see something new every time, even though it's a small museum. You know, and it's so great that you you really could drop off the kids for a half day and they can experience the park in kind of a very kid-friendly way while you go off and have your kind of adult morning or afternoon. And um, what a great way for, for everybody to kind of get, you know, a really great experience out of it. Yeah, no, I mean, if I if I had young kids, that's, that's what I would do because it's like the Fleet Science Center. I mean, that's going to be fun for them. So you get to do you and they get to do them and, and you all get to meet for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us. Balboa Park is such a unique part of any visit to San Diego. We, we hope you'll come back and tell us more. I will. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Jennifer Davies is Director of Cultural Tourism for the San Diego Tourism Authority. Remember, you'll always find links to the people and the places we mention on our website. Visit california.com slash podcast. Coming up, we'll introduce you to the blossoming world of the Sacramento street art scene. If you were looking for another reason to plan your next trip to Sacramento, this might just be it. But first, we'll wander into the wonderful world of wellness travel. You're listening to the California Now podcast. If you've heard the expression wellness travel pop up over the past few years, you're not alone. And if you're not entirely sure what wellness travel means, you're definitely not alone. It's a nebulous term that seems to mean different things to different people. To help us sort through it all, we've enlisted the services of John Wogan, Special Projects Editor for Travel and Leisure. He knows a ton about the latest travel trends, including this one, and we're delighted to have him on the California Now podcast. Welcome, John. Thanks. So good to be here. So what exactly is wellness travel? Is there a a universal definition? Uh, How did TNL define wellness travel in its June 2019 issue? Yeah, I mean, so in one sense, you know, all leisure travel is kind of wellness travel in that being away from the daily grind and office life is, I think, inherently a healthy thing, Um, you know, both physically because you aren't actually sitting at your desk for eight hours a day. Um, And then mentally, you know, you can use your brain for different things and it shift gears and you're kind of being stimulated in different ways. Um, But I guess in the last couple years, wellness has really come to mean self-improvement. So it's sort of gotten a little more specific. Um, People, you know, go on a trip with intention, whether it's, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, they want to improve something about themselves. Um, so at TNL, that's how we generally define it um, as a chance for reflection and self-improvement. Um, and, you know, naturally that means different things to different people. Do you get a sense that wellness travel is on the rise? I mean, it certainly feels that way. Yeah, definitely. It's become hugely popular um, and it's still on the rise. Um, you know, I think because people are working harder today than ever before, we're always connected. We're always checking our email on Slack. Um, people bring their laptops home with them every night. 
So, you know, we get a sense that there's this yearning to kind of get away from office life and just take a break from the stress and all the anxiety that stems from all of that. Um, you know, because so much of modern life is not conducive to good health. So people are looking for um, some kind of transformation and just want to feel better. So, I mean, if it is on the rise, what does that tell us about how people are, are thinking differently about exploring the world? Is, is it no longer enough to just like indulge yourself in a great meal or, or park yourself on a chaise lounge? Right. I mean, I think people in general are a little bit more savvy about just what they want out of their vacations. Um, and we've found when it comes to wellness that there are basically around three categories that um, a wellness-focused trip falls into. So, you know, some people want something very luxurious and cosseted, um, where the priority is basically, you know, treating yourself. Others want something that focuses more on uh, personal transformation, so having to do with mental health and um, even spirituality, perhaps as a way to deal with, like, a life change or moving on to another stage in life. And then there are also those who want something really physical. And so their sort of goal is um, primarily about fitness. So lots of mm. yoga, eating clean, hikes every morning, that kind of thing. So almost like a, a boot camp type of experience. Well, let's let's take those uh, those categories one at a time. Let's start off. Why don't we start off with, say, the, the boot camp experience? Talk about that a little bit. There's a really popular boot camp-like place in Malibu, which is called The Ranch. Um, and it's, uh, it's a good place to come for travelers who want a more active, physically focused and challenging wellness type of trip. So it's set on about 200 acres in the Santa Monica Mountains. And it lasts for either a week or a four day long weekend. And essentially, uh, the goal here is to kind of jumpstart something that you can bring back with you um, when you're done with a trip. So how do these places operate? Like, do they wake you up at the crack of dawn and have you doing uh, aerobics or something? And then are you going all day? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty intense. You get up at 5.30 and then you start with morning stretching, a morning hike. Um, and then in the afternoon, you have kind of uh, yoga, strength training, and they put you on this diet that's... Um, it's very healthy and it's all organic, but it's pretty strict. It's limited to like 1,500 calories. Um, and so, you know, it's possible to be kind of hungry there, but what you're getting is really high quality um, nutrition. And they have a cooking class as well. So you can learn sort of the skills you'll need when you go back home and take that with you. It sounds pretty intense. I mean, on the one hand, I could see the appeal, but on the other hand, to me, it doesn't say necessarily like relaxing vacation. <laughs> so let's try another type. What, what is, um, say, like the luxury wellness travel like? For luxury people that want to kind of just um, chill out, there's um, a town north of Los Angeles called Ojai. So Ojai is probably most famous for the resort there called the Ojai Valley Inn and Spa which is, you know, this very expansive 200-acre resort, and it's really a destination in its own right. Even though Ojai, the town itself, is great, people come here and they just stay on property the whole weekend. And a big part of the place is uh, this hammam-style spa, and so a lot of the wellness activities there take place in the spa where, you know, you can have your traditional massages, facials, um, it's more of a mainstream spa experience, um, but the whole place is just very relaxing. And, you know, in terms of Southern California, it's very popular with L.A. celebrities and people that kind of just need a weekend away. What would you say kind of defines this luxury category? 
I think just the fact that you have choices, you can be as healthy or I guess as unhealthy as you want. And even if you are unhealthy, the wellness aspect comes in by kind of the shutting off mentally, just relaxing, sitting by the pool. Um, there's three great pools on property there. Um, and you just aren't kind of forced to be as strict with yourself as at some other places. Okay, so what's what's left? I think you mentioned spiritual was one of the the categories of of, of wellness travel. Uh, are the, are you talking about places like Esalen? Yeah, exactly. Esalen and Big Sur is sort of like the um, you know it's this legendary uh, retreat in Big Sur that opened in 1962, and it's it's kind of the original New Age hippie kind of place along the Pacific Coast. Um, and people come here to take part you know, in one of the enrichment workshops they have. And these kind of get very out there in a way with like uh, mystical realism. They have topics like transcendentalism. Um, You learn how to better cultivate compassion. Um, And, you know, even for families, they have family workshops uh, that have to do with like nature and music. Um, There's Reiki, massage, massage. you know, there's no cell phone coverage either. There's no Wi-Fi. So you really come here to just unplug from everything. Okay. So, you know, th- th- this this whole wellness travel uh, kind of segment of travel is really starting to make sense to me. So let's talk about, you know, the Golden State for a minute. Are there any California, say, cities or regions in particular that really embody the wellness travel movement? Well, I mean, I think the good thing about California is that no matter where you are, you're kind of like in a good position to take part in the wellness world in some way. I mean, even Los Angeles or San Francisco, you have access to amazing hiking trails, um, national parks, the ocean, of course. Um, So, you know, that's kind of the beauty of California and why so many people visit. Um, You know, when I lived in LA, I found it was possible after work to go for a hike. You know, before work, you could go to the ocean and take a dip. So I think wherever you are in California, you just have to find the places um, that, you know, suit you and what you want to do. So it sounds like you can almost plan your own wellness travel and not necessarily have to go to a resort to do it, but you can kind of plan your own just because California offers so much in that area. Yeah, California offers everything. I mean, you could be in the middle of San Francisco and then just drive, you know, 30 minutes to Marin County and be in Muir Woods among the Redwood Forests. You could be in L.A. and there's just like hundreds of hikes you could do. Um, And, you know, Malibu, which we talked about earlier, is just a short drive away, too. Are there any resources that people can uh, turn to to find out more about how they can plan a wellness travel vacation? Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of information on our website, travelandleisure.com, which covers all of the places uh, we talked about today. and, you know, all of the websites for these places are really informative, actually. Um, Esalen's is very inspiring. Um, and you can learn a lot just in general about wellness and, um, you know, the different practices by going to these sites. Before I let you go, I want to mention one of the articles in the special wellness issue of Travel and Leisure magazine. There was an article about running vacations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, we had a writer who finds her sort of peace of mind and sense of calm actually through competitive running, which doesn't sound like it would be something typically associated with the wellness world. But, you know, the whole point is that in this issue, you know, we sent writers to do things that were personal to them. And this writer found her, you know, sense of peace through running. And, 
In California, luckily, you can run all the time, <laughs> no matter where you are. So、um, it's an easy and free thing to do, and that's what she loved to do, and that's what made her feel her best. So、um, you know, the point in general is that everyone has their own thing in terms of what they consider to be a wellness vacation. And I think that's a wonderful way to see a new place, a different place you haven't been to, because you know whether you're running or walking or cycling, hiking. I mean, you're doing it kind of at a slower pace. You're not just zooming by, you know, in a in a car or on a train or something like that.、And、it's also very meditative, right? And also really healthy. Yeah, taking in nature is one of the healthiest things you can do. I mean, forest bathing is a really big trend now, where people kind of immerse themselves in the woods and just walk around and take in sort of the trees and the birds, and that's been proven to have、uh, significant mental health benefits. So、um, you're absolutely right. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for all of your insights, John. Thanks so much. Great to be here. John Wogan is Travel and Leisure's special projects editor and a contributing writer for T, the New York Times Style Magazine. You can read his latest work at travelandleisure.com, and you can find links to all of the places we discussed today at our website, visitcalifornia.com/podcasts. Sacramento is recognized around the world as America's farm-to-fork capital and the home to our dynamic food scene. It's also California's state capital and a city with a rich history dating back to the gold rush. And it's my home turf. I live just outside the city limits and spend quite a bit of time exploring the city of trees. Over the past few summers, I've watched with wonder as a collection of murals materialized on Sacramento buildings. My next guest is the man who made that happen. David Soban is the founder and producer of Wide Open Walls, the mural festival that will once again transform Sacramento into an open-air museum of sorts. Welcome to the California Now podcast, David.、Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. You know, I have a pretty good sense of what Wide Open Walls is all about because I've seen it with my own eyes. But for our listeners' sake, how would you describe this festival? Well, it's pretty interesting.、Um, we started about four years ago, and the goal was always to create art outdoors for people to see. And I think it's become more of an outdoor art gallery is truly our mission statement、um, and what we're trying to accomplish. So it's a 11-day festival、um, in August. It runs from August 8th through August 18th. But you don't need to be here during the festival. It's nice if you can be because you get to interact with the artist and see them paint live. But the murals that we produce. Are really meant as a gift to the city, and they're meant to be here forever. So you can come visit anytime. And、uh, how many artists do you usually have、uh, come for the festival?、Uh, usually between thirty and forty artists. We try to get some alumni artists, and what that means is we have artists that paint from the year before. They come, and a lot of them work on a special project, or they come to mentor artists because we have artists that come from all over the world, and some of them have an incredible amount of experience painting murals、um, on the street and in public. And some of the artists locally are painting their murals for the very, very first time. So it's always nice that they can get support from some of the alumni artists, also. Yeah, it's really impressive. I mean, dozens of artists coming from all over the world、um, and from the region as well. What prompted you to to start Wide Open Walls? Was there kind of a like a magic moment when the idea came to you? That aha moment, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was walking my dog down an alley in Sacramento, and this particular alley that I was walking by had a mural on it. And then I walked a couple blocks down, and I saw something that looked maybe a little bit more graffiti and a sculpture. And my whole thought was, you know, I'd recognize some of the murals that were already. 
painted in Sacramento. And I kind of thought, you know, it would be great to activate this particular alley. And it was called Jazz Alley between I and J Street in Sacramento. So Hmm. I just kind of had an idea. I brought it up to the Arts Commission and they kind of liked the idea and said they could help raise some money to do it. And we were off and running. And in the first year of the Sacramento Mural Festival, we we produced 11 murals, um, concentrated in one particular alley, and the project has just grown from then. The the festival sort of feels like, kind of like your love letter to Sacramento. Do you see it that way? You know what? That's that's pretty interesting that you mentioned that because it it is kind of neat that you're able to create something that so many other people love. I mean, I love doing this project. I really do. I think one of the funnest parts is curating the artists, making sure that we're putting the right art in the right neighborhoods. And when you do that, there is. There's an awful lot of love that uh, that people experience. Um, the amount of people that are stopping to take pictures in front. Some of these spots have just been incredibly popular uh, for, you know, the, the selfies that everybody's taking these days. So, yeah, what a great love letter <laughs> to Sacramento. It was just an outdoor art gallery. Yeah, I mean, and the artwork is truly amazing. It's very bright and colorful, dramatic. Um, Can you talk a little bit about who the artists are and where they come from? You can even drop some names. I think one of the biggest names to drop is probably Shepard Ferry. Um, Right. Shepard Ferry is probably most uh, famous for the Obama Hope poster, but he is a graffiti artist turned muralist turned political spokesperson turned just incredible machine of great work that he does. And we helped him by finding the right building um, in Sacramento. And it's painted on the residence inn, the Marriott um, at the the park, right in the Capitol. Um, We found him an 18-story wall. And he created an image of Johnny Cash um, celebrating uh, 50 years um, at Folsom Prison. Um, It was an incredible project. It's 18 stories high. It is really a brand new landmark for Sacramento. And it also has, I mean, as as a lot of the work does, um, has kind of like a political strain to it as well, right? Doesn't it also kind of address uh, prison reform? Yeah, it does. I mean, that's kind of interesting, and I'm glad that you brought that up because every artist um, has something to say. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting about Wide Open Walls is we have a lot of participation from the landlords and the people that have buy-in. In other words, there's a lot of festivals out there that create art, and that art gets buffed out, and that means it gets painted over year after year after year, and the murals don't stay around. We've created 90 murals in the last three years, and 86 of them are still around. And a lot of times that means the artists are having conversations with the building owners and they're going to do something that they both can kind of understand and they're both okay with because you're right. Some of the messaging is very political. Um, I think most people look at the Johnny Cash and they just see Johnny Cash and they think Folsom Prison because Folsom is one of the suburbs of Sacramento and he's looking directly at Folsom Prison on the 50th anniversary when it was created. But if you look at that mural or if you look at the Howanazim on the same hotel, they have both very political messages. And, you know, Sacramento is a, a political town, obviously, being the state capital. So it kind of works hand in hand. And I think, you know, 99.9% of the people can really identify. Uh, but you know what? You can't please everybody all the time. But <laughs> it's really all about the art and, and just creating a, a gallery outside for everybody to enjoy. Right, right. Well, what, what are some of the works that you're most excited about for this year's festival? One of the artists that I'd love to talk about is Rafael Delgado. Um, he is on our board for Wide Open Walls, and he started off three years ago um, when I challenged him uh, to 
paint a mural for us. He was an incredibly uh, talented artist with a great following, great studio work, um, owns his own art gallery, and he had never painted a mural before, but he had spent some time up in Montreal um, at, at a program up there with an artist in residence, and he saw murals being created. And when I asked him to do it, his first reaction was, well, how big of a wall do you want? And he was thinking, you know, maybe 10 feet by 20 feet. And then I got him to 20 by 30 feet. And the next thing you know, he's painting <laughs> a 40 by 60 foot bear above Jalapeno's restaurant on 21st Street at Main Drag. And the attention that he got for that, it was the hardest thing he'd ever done in his life. He's climbing up and down on scaffolding every day. And he got so much attention and had so much love for this new art form. He is considering himself a muralist right now, besides a, besides a fine artist. And he's going to do a project on the Sacramento Natural Food Co-op that you can see from Highway 80 driving by. So we're very excited about Rafael Delgado, not just being on our board and helping uh, with artist relations, but creating, I think, another one of his masterpieces in Sacramento. Another artist I'm very excited about is Molly Devlin, um, an incredible fine art painter. She uses oils and, and acrylics with just the finest detail of very exotic figures and creatures. Um, she did a mural forest a couple years back and just, again, it's something that she's experimenting with and she's become an incredible outdoor artist um, doing large scale murals Um, she's going to be creating a new mural on South Pa Sushi, a brand new restaurant on Del Paso Boulevard and we are very excited to see what kind of creatures that she can create in the ocean so Molly Devlin is somebody else to watch yeah, and it sounds like such a wide variety of artistic styles will be on display and there are also a variety of ways to actually experience the work. Can you tell us a little bit about the different tours that people can take to kind of make sure they don't miss any of the the, the works? The tour options are many. It's pretty incredible. We have everything from running tours to walking tours to bicycle tours to something called jump bikes. There's jump bike and scooters, which is an electric scooter um, that is in a number of different uh, areas around the country. But Sacramento has jump scooters and jump bikes. And and you can also kind of take your own self-guided tour right because you have an app that people can download and just basically you know tour the city on their own to find the murals right Yes, and a lot of those, uh, those, a lot of those tours, and a lot of those murals are in between lots of great restaurants and uh, bars and clubs and retail stores. So that is a great way to do it. We got a brand new website, wideopenwalls.com, and that website will have a mobile application, um, not just the murals and the maps and the artists that do it, but history of of the artists, um, history of the murals, what the murals mean, and in some cases, you can actually listen to the artists talk about those murals and give you directions to the next one. So. So pretty easy to follow and a great way to see the murals in Sacramento. So, so David, as you look into your crystal ball, how do you envision the future of Wide Open Walls? Is it, is it going to evolve over the next few years? So we're definitely having conversations of what the future looks like. It doesn't necessarily need to be to me, more murals to be better. I think we're really concentrating on curating the best murals for the best neighborhood with the best artists out there. But we're having, uh, this year, we're featuring uh, Martha Cooper, one of the, the greatest photographers ever for graffiti and murals in the world. She's doing a West Coast premiere in Sacramento. So Sacramento's uh, 
you know, making making its debut, doing movie movie premieres. Um, we're having an international mural summit. We're bringing mural producers and festival producers from around the world to come have a powwow and a panel in Sacramento to kind of see what the future looks like um, for these type of events all over the world. So the future looks bright. Um, I think the visitors will like uh, like their outdoor art gallery and the murals just like the the locals do. And uh, we're a pretty friendly place to come uh, to come check out and uh, spend a day, spend a week, spend more time. Absolutely. It's all, it's all very exciting. So in the meantime, where should we send listeners to find out more information about this year's event? Uh, wideopenwalls.com is the website. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram. Um, new photos get posted many times a week for projects that we're doing in Sacramento that are not just festival related, but all kinds of art projects. Or on our Facebook page. We have lots of followers there and we're posting specials and events and contests and all kinds of things like that. But wideopenwalls.com would be the best place. You can start from there and we hope to see you in Sacramento. Well, thanks so much, David. I've really enjoyed our time together. It's uh, it's an awful lot of fun talking about something that I have so much passion about and I think our community has so much passion about. Absolutely. David Sobon is the founder of Wide Open Walls, a mural festival that might just provide the nudge you need to plan a trip to Sacramento. Find out more about the festival and everything we talked about during today's podcast at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. You're listening to California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe, and you can learn more about California and plan your next visit at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. That's where you'll find our podcast and much more information. We'll provide links to everyone and every place that you learn about here on the California Now podcast. That's visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. family-friendly urban park in San Diego, boot camp-style detox retreats in Malibu, and mural festivals in Sacramento. We really covered a lot of terrain in this episode. The fact of the matter is, there's so much to see and do in California that it's hard to keep up with it all. If you want to stay in the know, sign up for Visit California's e-newsletter. You'll receive a steady flow of inspiration and information delivered right to your inbox. Find out more at visitcalifornia.com. We hope to see you soon.